Welcome to episode 39 of the Get More Sports Podcast. My name is Doug McCain. Thanks for rocking with us once again. On today's episode, Andrew Luck shocks the NFL world by retiring at the age of 29. The Yankees, they go into Los Angeles and they make a statement against the Dodgers. Oh, and both teams made a pretty ugly fashion statement with those players' edition uniforms. And then Team USA, they drop one to Australia. All that and much, much more here on episode 39 of the Get More Sports Podcast. Topics on topics. And the story that sent shockwaves through the NFL universe over the weekend was Andrew Luck announcing his retirement at the age of 29, the four-time Pro Bowler. Last year, he wins Comeback Player of the Year. Well, he is not going to come back for the Colts. He is done. Effective immediately. Take a listen to Andrew Luck announcing his retirement immediately following the Colts game this weekend. I'm going to retire. Uh, this is not an easy decision. Uh, honestly, it's the hardest decision of my life. Uh, but it is the right decision for me. Uh, for the last four years or so, I've been in this cycle of injury, pain, rehab, injury, injury pain, rehab. Uh, and it's been unceasing and relenting, unrelenting, both in season both in, and off season. Uh, and I felt stuck in it, and the only way I see out uh, is, is to, to no longer play football. Uh, now, everyone's saying this is the most shocking announcement since Michael Jordan announced his retirement in 93, since Barry Sanders retired, since Calvin Johnson retired. Is it, though? Look, I understand the Colts were in the mix to go to the Super Bowl this year, right? At 927, they were Super Bowl contenders. By 928, they're in the basement of the AFC South. So I understand the frustration with Colts fans. I understand why NFL fans would expect Andrew Luck to give it a go. But this is Andrew Luck. This is not your typical NFL superstar. This is a guy who had a flip phone until basically last year. Are you flipping kidding me? This is a guy who they asked, hey, Andrew, what are you going to buy with your money after he signed that $140 million contract? And he said, I'm going to buy a robotic ping pong table just in case I have no one to play with. This is a guy who reads 1,000-page books about concrete. How many NFL quarterbacks do you know that have a book club? Andrew Luck has a book club. How many NFL quarterbacks would say that if their worth was as a human was tied to whether he won or lost a football game, then he would have a crappy life. This is a quarterback that doesn't have the same values as other NFL players that we've seen in the past. Now, the question surrounding Andrew Luck's retirement was the timing. You have people calling into question the timing of the announcement. Steve Berline questioned it. He said that you retire in March and April, not two weeks before the season. But can you blame Andrew Luck? Since 2012, Andrew Luck has been hit on average 6.7 times per game. That puts him fourth in the NFL behind Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, and Colin Kaepernick. So blame Jim Irsay. Blame the Colts front office that surrounded Andrew Luck with the offensive line that was about as reliable as single-ply toilet paper because in the first three years of Andrew Luck's career, he was hit or sacked 352 times. That's 60 times more than any player in the NFL over that span. 
So if Colts fans want to be booing anyone, they need to be booing their front office because they surrounded Andrew Luck with a bunch of turnstiles that allowed him to take a beating in his first three seasons. If you look at the injuries that he suffered in the first three years, I'm pretty sure you might consider retiring yourself. A lacerated kidney, two concussions, a torn labrum, torn cartilage in two ribs. This guy, was he playing football or was he a gladiator in the Coliseum in Rome? So I have no issue with Andrew Luck stepping down when he did. If his heart was not in the game, that was the right move to make. If it must be done eventually, it should be done immediately. And to me, it took a lot of courage for Andrew Luck to do what he did. It took a lot of courage to walk away from tens of millions of dollars, a potential Super Bowl appearance, a potential Hall of Fame induction. It took a lot of courage to walk off that field with his head held high despite being serenaded by booze from his own home crowd. To me, if it was the right move for Andrew Luck, it's the right move for me. And the other layer to the story of Andrew Luck's retirement was how the Colts reacted. They reacted like spoiled little babies, and they savagely booed Andrew Luck as he walked off that Lucas Oil Stadium field for the very last time as a Colt. And his lasting memory of that fan base is going to be that they just serenaded him with boos as he went into that press conference and Andrew Luck mentioned that the boos definitely affected him and that he was hurt by him. Take a listen right here. Play the clip. So definitely a you-hate-to-see-it moment there for Colts fans who boo a guy that led them to the playoffs four of the seven years that he was the Colts QB, and the other three, he was dealing with serious injuries. So unwarranted, unacceptable to do that, and Andrew Luck admitted it after the game that he was hurt by it. And what I'm questioning in this whole incident is Adam Schefter. Yes, you're the, the famed reporter that always has to break the news. You want your name on that bottom line. You want to break the internet. Maybe wait a couple minutes. Maybe wait 20 minutes, 15 minutes, and save Andrew Luck from getting booed. Did you ever think about that? Is it as important for you to break that story or maybe save Andrew Luck from getting booed by 60,000, 70,000 Colts fans? I mean, Philly fans that booed Santa Claus, that threw batteries at Santa Claus, think that that's a little much. Philly fans that booed Michael Irving as he was rolling around on the turf after suffering a concussion thinks that's a little much. Indianapolis and the Colts fan base, they owe Andrew Luck a giant apology and they better find a way to make things right for a guy that put his body on the line for an inept franchise for over seven seasons Stay classy, Indianapolis.
And next, we're going to switch gears to Major League Baseball, where over the weekend, you had the most anticipated series of the season, two best records in baseball, the Dodgers and the Yankees. The pinstripes versus the boys in blue. Unfortunately, they're wearing those god-awful Players Edition uniforms that we'll touch on in just a second. But this was a big series. You had playoff and also World Series home field advantage implications on the line. And I was there Friday night. It was electric. It did not feel like your normal big series. It almost felt like a playoff game, and the Yankees did not disappoint. The Yankees take two of three from the Dodgers, and the Bronx Bombers lived up to the hype. The Bronx Bombers lived up to their billing and we're crushing bombs all throughout the ravine. The New York Yankees, 61 home runs for the month of August. That's an all-time record. But the Dodgers, their offense is potent as well. The Dodgers have 44 home runs in the month of August. But the home run battle was won by the Yankees. The Yankees hit nine home runs on the series compared to the Dodgers' two home runs. And this Dodger offense that has made great strides in the last year under new hitting coach Robert Van Scoyak really took a step back over the weekend. They hit 182 and went 2 for 16 with runners in scoring position, 39 strikeouts, and it was very reminiscent of last year's World Series where the Dodgers really just had issues getting the ball in play and getting hits. If you look at Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger, and Justin Turner, the core of their lineup, they want to combine five for 32 with only two extra base hits, one of those being Justin Turner's home run on Saturday, which was the deciding factor in that one. He hit a two-run bomb Saturday. But this Dodger team, one of the takeaways is that this Yankee lineup, if they're going to face this Yankee lineup in October, they get after lefties. They get after lefties. They're OPSing as a group, 866 against left-handed pitching, and you saw what they did to Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw yesterday really pitched a great game. If you look at the strikeouts, 12 strikeouts for Clayton Kershaw, also a season high with missed bats on fastball. So that's encouraging for the Dodgers, but two of those bombs he gave up to LeMahieu and Aaron Judge, those were on Clayton Kershaw's curveball, which is one of the best curveballs the game has ever seen. How great is it? Only 12 times has it led to a home run, including yesterday. So they were getting to his curveball, and that that team is potent. That is a team that has a lot of firepower, and all the talk here in Los Angeles is always about the bullpen. It's always about the pitching or the bullpen or lack thereof. Well, Kenley Jansen, he found a way to come through on Saturday, even touching 96. He had two of his best cutters of the season, so that's encouraging. And then Joe Kelly, who had his struggles early on, he continues to be a rock for this much maligned Dodger bullpen. Zero runs, 12 strikeouts in his last 10 games. And then Tony Smokes, Tony Gonsolin, the rookie, Pitcher for the Dodgers. He looks a lot like Frank Zappa. Loves his cats. Well, on Saturday, whoops, I mean Saturday, he was out there. Other than an Aaron Judge home run, he would he uh, gave a one run, three runs in his last 19 innings with a 1-4-2 ERA. So they found something in Gonsolin, but it's this Dodger offense to me that will be the deciding factor for this team because look, the bullpen has its issues. But if you don't score runs 
it's not going to matter. If you go, if you bat 180 like the Dodgers did last year against the Red Sox, the bullpen is not going to be the topic. And this weekend, it was the Dodgers' issues on offense that they need to figure out. Now, was this an aberration? Because the Dodgers, they've been averaging 5.8 runs since the All-Star break. But they can slug with the best of them. This is a team that can slug with the best of them. They're 73-29 and 29 when they hit a home run. And where this team has really improved is their clutch hitting. Two outs, runners in scoring position. That percentage has jumped over 50 points than last year. So this team has made improvements, and they're not going to win the World Series in August. But I'm telling you, the Yankees definitely made a statement, and the Dodgers need to know that heading into the postseason that their offense, there's just as much pressure on this Dodger offense as there is in this Dodgers bullpen and their pitching staff. And next, I want to touch on those player edition uniforms that Major League Baseball rolled out over the weekend. You had teams all over Major League Baseball. The Yankees and the Dodgers were forced to wear them, and fans were not happy. The players didn't like them. The Dodgers even tried to get Major League Baseball to allow the Yankees and Dodgers to wear their standard uniforms, which I personally believe are the two best in Major League Baseball. And look, I do love the nicknames. I'm a fan of the nicknames. I loved how Tony Gonsolin was Goose. I loved how Walker Buehler is Blue Tain. I love how Matt Beatty was Bader's Taters. I like Negron James. But I was at the game, and you really couldn't even read the uniforms. You couldn't read the numbers. You couldn't read the names. And they just did not look good. It was not a good look for Major League Baseball on the field. Some of my favorites on Twitter, I saw someone post a picture of a white trash bag and a black trash bag. Jay Billis said it looked like the nuns versus the nurses. To me, it reminded me of spy versus spy. I know Major League Baseball, you're trying to appeal to a younger generation. You're trying to change the way you market your product to be more 21st century. Well, I have an idea. Maybe throw out some uniforms where... You, need a, you don't even need a color TV to see them. Just black and white. To me, they were kind of stale. My solution, I know it's players weekend. I know it's players weekend. But how about you throw out three or four uniforms and have the fans vote? You have the fans vote which ones they like the best because then you don't have this backlash. You don't have everyone there telling you how terrible the uniforms are and then the players will could campaign for the one they like. You could do it that way because these weekend's uniforms – those were not it. I'm glad that's the last one we're going to see them. Auction them off for a good cause. Bet you would get a couple of dollars for them. And I know it's just laundry. It's just a uniform. But the fact that teams and players did not like them as much as the fans did tells me that those weren't player edition uniforms. Those were MLB league office uniforms. Because if it was about the players and the players didn't want to wear them, they should have had the right not to wear them. But Major League Baseball, you forced those on the fans. You forced those on the teams. It was not a good look. Get it right next year. We got to figure it out. The nicknames are cool. You didn't invent that. The NBA did that before Major League Baseball. But those unis, last year's, I didn't even like last year's with the softball look, with the two colors. But get it right. You got to do something about those threads, MLB. And 
And lastly, we're going to touch on the U.S. men's basketball team that lost to Australia over the weekend. That snapped a 78-game U.S. winning streak that started with the bronze medal game at the 2006 World Championship. So the U.S. men's team, they lost 98-94, to and that's a 13-year streak that the U.S. men's team hadn't lost in international play when they were using NBA players. Now, I know your first thought is, yes, we brought the D team. We brought some Beamers and Benzes, not our Bentleys and Rolls Royces, but a loss is a loss. And Kemba Walker said they wanted it more than us tonight. Lesson learned for us. So don't tell me that, Hey, because we didn't bring LeBron James and Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and some of our elite players that we should have won that game. Because, look, I respect the international competition. I respect guys like Patty Mills, guys like Joe Angles, guys like Aaron Baines. I also respect the Australian basketball fans that showed up. 52,079, that was the biggest crowd to watch a basketball game in Australia. So the game is growing globally, and to me that outweighs whether or not this hurts the U.S. basketball team and it hurts our chances of continuing our dominance globally. Look, you got Giannis coming for Greece. You got guys like Chris Stapps, Porzingis. Argentina is always going to field a good team. So is Spain. To me, it's a good thing. And if guys don't want to play, that's also their choice. But look, you got Harrison Barnes. You got Donovan Mitchell. You got Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker. Those are all-star caliber players that definitely will tell you that they should have won that game. But maybe this is the new normal for USA basketball. Maybe it's not going to be like 2008 and 2012 and 2016 where you had players at the peak of their primes the Kobe's the Durant's the Westbrook's the Kyrie's the Anthony Davis's maybe it's not going to be like that because players understand they realize at this point that the window for championships that shuts very quickly and if you're a guy like Westbrook or Harden that's trying to put it together for one last run before their prime runs out, I don't see why any of them would even consider this. Yes, it's a great moment for your brand. It's great to win a gold medal, but let's say your front office, you're playing these guys $40, $50 million, and they're busting it in the summer playing an international play where the rules are different, the ball is different. So I totally understand why these players aren't going to be participating. And what I think they should do, I personally think that you make it a 25 age limit. I think that the age limit should be 25 to participate in NBA in, in international competition for the U.S. Because that way, you're still having elite players. Because look at all the players that are on this team. Donovan Mitchell. Jason Tatum, they're all under 25, and then also they're still pre-prime, and they still have a lot of tread on those tires, and then also they can benefit, they can boost their brand, and they can also make the international play more watchable. I'm not saying that, like a lot of people are saying, you should have just college players. I'm not saying that, because international players can still beat college players. They will do that. That The U.S. will not win gold under those circumstances. But if you have NBA players at 25, it would be a great chance to have them play under elite coaching, playing for guys like Greg Popovich and guys like Mike D'Antoni and learning under under some of the great coaches that the league has to offer. So I think that's what I would do. That would be my rule. I would cap it at 25, and then these NBA players won't have those bad PR hits where it looks like they're 
they're not playing for their country because I don't think that's right either. But Team USA is going to be just fine. I'm just telling you that would be much better for the overall product of international basketball. But that is going to do it for episode 39 of the Get More Sports Podcast. Thanks for rocking with us once again. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Leave a comment. I'm telling you, we'll read it live on the next episode of the Get More Sports Podcast. Have a great rest of your Monday. Don't forget to follow me at DMAC underscore LA. That's at DMAC underscore LA. Have a great rest of your day, and I'm out.